All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What the funkadelics? What's happening? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast. Thank you for being here. Wherever you're at in your day, I hope it's going well. Wherever you are, on a plane, on a train, in a car, at the gym, in a cubicle, perhaps uh, perhaps maybe you're skydiving. I don't know. I would, I would not waste your time skydiving and listening to me. All right. I feel like I'm falling most of the time. So maybe uh, may, maybe it'd be perfect. I'm not sure. Today on the show, Patricia Arquette, the actress, the amazing actress, the Oscar winning actress uh, for uh, Boyhood. Many of you, you know her because you fell in love with her in true romance. God, who didn't, man? Who did not fall in love with Patricia Arquette in True Romance? Seriously. Alabama, right? Alabama. She's an amazing woman, and it was a real uh, honor to talk to her. She came over here. And, of course, I, uh, I I didn't know when it would happen, but it seems to happen that uh, I get choked up when she talked about winning the Oscar, the surprise of it, the, uh, the, the bodily sensation of hearing your name spoken in that context as the winner of the academy award for best actress i got choked up i kind of i'm looking forward to it menopausal mark is uh is excited to be emoting as frequently as i am i got two sides people i got the side that wants out and the side that keeps that guy in and uh i don't know when this battle is going to be over i imagine it goes on for a lifetime but yeah, God damn it, I am sick of the guy that keeps the other guy in. I just really need to, whoo, got to switch those roles. Just this constant battle of the, you know, the 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 defensive dude, uh, who, that that's a pretty broad umbrella, though. The defensive dude is also the dude that functions publicly and has a certain amount of social grace, and uh, he's also the guy that works as a comedian uh, for the most part, but uh, that guy, they sort of work together when I'm doing the doing the comedy, but there's this, this emoting thing that I don't know what it needs to do. I don't know what that guy needs to, the one inside of me that's, that's sensitive and scared and, uh, you know, really wanting love and wanting to give love. That guy, he's just, he's, he's, I, I just hope he doesn't give up in there. I just really do. Boy, sometimes the things I do to avoid feeling are, are pretty profound. Yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 yeah, but some of them are, are relaxing, but it, just the, the ability to just sit with it is difficult. Like, they, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you because I don't usually do this, but, but this is like the fourth time I've recorded this intro because I thought I sounded too fucking sad and there's no reason to be sad. I mean, I, I don't know if it's sad. It's just this weird, heavy heartedness. It's a beautiful day. It's finally fall in Los Angeles. So it's a, it's a nice uh, 79, 82 degrees. I, I miss seasons. I think that's what it is, is that my heart is actually experiencing like an East Coast fall. But uh, my environment, it's just sort of like a, just a slight variation on the same dry, sunny. And, I, you know, look, I know some of you are like, what are you complaining about sunny for? Well, it gets a little weird sometimes. I'd like a little rain. I'd like a little more gray. I'd like to be able to wear some of the new jackets I bought. Bought a couple new jackets. And I'd, I'd, like, to, uh, I'd, I'd like to be able to wear them. And also that, you know, fall for me is it's sort of a, a, a nostalgic and, and heavy hearted time. But I know when I'm overwhelmed, and I know when I'm feeling too much because I, I wake up aggravated. I wake up about to snap. 
And I start like all I want to do is get my mop out and uh, Murphy oil soap my deck, which is empty. My sad, desolate deck with my newly uh, stained picnic table out there and three old beat up chairs that should have been thrown out, but we hit them with stain. There's no layout or anything. It's all just sitting out there randomly, like the set of a uh, an existentially oblique play that I am at every time I go out there. I, I'm the 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 main actor wandering around. I'll go look at the table and I'll be like, I should hit this with a little more stain. I'll go look at the chairs. We're like, oh, these need a little more stain. Then I'll sit in one. Then I'll sit in the other. Then I'll sit at the table. Then I'll look at all the cactus. And then I'll I'll fucking go about my day. Maybe that's the movie. <laughs> I've had that conversation a few times where you're just talking to somebody. This is the movie. This is it. This is the show. No, it's not. It's it's a couple of people whining about things. No, this is this is the show. It's just me on my deck with the chairs. That's the show. That's the show. But I'm I'm glad this is the fourth time I did it because I'm coming upon the uh, the same. <laughs> I'm about to hit the same place I hit the other four times. You know, I watched a I watched a movie last night. The screeners are coming. And uh, I watched 99 Homes. Amazing performances by Michael Shannon, Andrew Garfield, Laura Dern's in it. The kid's good. But Jesus, what a dark movie, man. It's about the uh, the foreclosures on homes and the guys that made a business out of foreclosed homes and evicting people from homes and that whole real estate uh, clusterfuck debacle that killed a lot of people's lives. It's about uh, It's about a compromise of the soul about a selling of the soul about a soulless motherfucker and a kid who who uh, rationalizes the compromise of his soul yeah man it was engrossing it was so fucking engrossing i woke up feeling guilty and dark that that's there's a hell of a pitch for a movie it's so dark and troubling that you wake up dark and troubled I get nothing for plugging this. It just might be why I'm feeling the way I am today. Look, folks, we're getting uh, we're getting ready for the Warren Michaels episode, and uh, it's been it's been great for me to play these clips of people from the past. I had a great talk with Mike Myers last year, and, and this you know, Mike Myers is a guy that's been he's been rumored or reported to be a. Uh, difficult to work with from time to time and we talk a little bit about that but but it's interesting to hear from a guy who's very protective of his own work and and hear what what he had to say about lauren michaels this is from episode 518 uh, with mike myers i got a call and somebody says is this mike myers and i thought oh i was in chicago yeah and i said yeah and i thought it was like immigration or something even all my papers are always fine right and they said uh will you hold for lauren michaels and I thought, oh, this is Paul. Fantastic. Yeah. Paul Mike. And he's like, uh, is this Mike? <laughs> yeah. Lorne. Um, listen, I'm hearing things about you that are good. And I'm like, what, what the hell? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I was by myself. And nobody was like, what? Yeah. Um, would you be interested in being on Saturday Night Live? I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you come down to New York. How long after the phone call? So after the phone call, three weeks later, I go down to New York City. I'd never been to New York City. Mm-hmm. I go over the bridge, and it makes me cry, the 59th Street Bridge, because yeah. I love New York. I love London. Yeah. I'd always loved New York, but I had said to myself, I'm not going to go to New York unless I'm invited for something. So this was it. Yeah. I got invited for something. Right, right, right. Go over that bridge. It was magical. You just can't believe it. Yeah. The only other place that I've approached that's made me cry is Venice. Mm-hmm. 
I still can't believe it. It's so beautiful. I got to see that. Oh, it's fantastic. So you go to 30 Rock. And, and I was supposed to have a meeting with him at 1 o'clock. I don't actually get in to see him till 1 o'clock in the morning. So I'm that outside. You waited? I had three full meals. Uh-huh. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I just waited. And I just go, uh, am I, am I going to see him today? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely see him. And I come in. And uh, Lauren is sitting at his desk. And the window behind him is of the Empire State Building, which I've never seen. At night? At night. Mm-hmm. And he's talking. And it's Lauren Michaels. You yeah. know. I did a project on him in grade eight of famous Canadians. Yeah. And I'm just sitting, I'm just not believing it. So I walk in and there's two chairs and he said, have a seat. And I said, which one? And he goes, which one do you think? And I said, which is the one that's going to get me hired? And he laughed. And the other producer was like, oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> right, like, right. He likes me. He don't like yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just felt the, the... Who was the other guy? Uh, Jim Downey. Okay. Who I'm now fantastically in love Was he the head writer then? Yeah, yeah, he was the head writer. Yeah. When I first got hired, I didn't get an office. So yeah. my office was, I was cross-legged on my coat yeah. by the elevator bank. Yeah. And he would come in and he'd say, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm on the show. Right. Don't have an office? Uh, no. Should get one. I'd like one. Should ask. Um, who would I ask? Someone. Someone will get you an office. Just don't, don't hang out by the elevator bank. It's weird. So I'd go, okay, and I'd say, uh, Lauren says I should get an office. And he goes, no, no, there's no offices. And so he kept running into me. He goes, do, do you have a security badge? <laughs> so it was you a keep bit. it out. It was a I, I guess it was a bit, but I thought he had no idea who I was. Um, until the third show, and I did Wayne's World. And your relationship with Lauren, did it get more... Uh, candid more intimate i mean as you started to earn well I, I have such respect for lauren like truly truly is a canadian hero this is a man who i just i i guess it's how i was brought up but you know he's my boss you know um and that's how i feel about the audience by the way you know they're my boss you know um they pay my bills and they are kind enough to come see what i do and and you know if i'm out and they want to come up and take a photograph, you have to be nice to your boss. You sure. Mean? And yeah. so, yeah, absolutely, of course. And you still have a relationship with Lauren? Yeah, fantastic. I have, I have dinner with him every two months. Really? He's so... When Lauren had kids, he turned into everybody's grandfather. Uh-huh. And, and he was really on me to have kids. It was his big thing. He goes, you know, it's all good. You won't regret one moment of it. It's all great. And he had him when he was like 60, right? Yeah. And I had a kid when I was 48. Uh-huh. My first one, and uh, then I just had one in April. So it's amazing. It's fantastic, dude. A Canadian hero. There you go. That's a pretty ringing endorsement right there. You don't have to wait much longer, okay? I promise you. You're going to hear the interview with Lauren very soon. Patricia Arquette. It was great talking to her. It, you know, it, <laughs> I, it was uh, it was interesting to to get the hang of talking to her. She came over with her uh, her uh, boyfriend, who's a painter. You know, we had a little discussion about art, kind of warmed up a little in the house, and we got out here, and I was like, all right, here we go. But she's great, and uh, and she's an amazing woman, and it was uh, it was great to talk to her. She's uh, now, her she's got a show. What is it? Oh, yeah. I know what her show is. It's CSI Cyber. It's on Sundays at 10 p.m., 9 central on CBS. So let's uh, let's talk to her. Let's, let's, let's talk to Patricia Arquette now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I appreciate you coming. Um, I know that did did Richard Linklater say something about it to you? This he did this show. Oh, he did. Yeah, and I and I'd like to feel like you know he referred you to the show. Did he not? Actually, my boyfriend Eric White. Oh yeah. He is yeah. he a painter? Yeah, he's a painter. Yeah. yeah. He's a he's a fan of the show. A big fan. Of the show. Oh really? So yeah. now, uh, oh, now the pressure's on. That's right. You better deliver. I, you better deliver. Oh, why, why is it <laughs> on me? I got to ask show. you a weird question about. Okay. Um, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and there was a family of Arquettes that were my neighbors. Are you related? Do you have any cousins in Albuquerque? Do you remember some of their names? Sure. Uh, I think the mother is a children's book or a, a teen. Uh, novel writer. Her name's Lois Duncan, and the 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 sons were like Brett Arquette, Donnie Arquette, and and Brett Arquette's actually some sort of mystery book writer. Nothing. Oh wow, how interesting! I know. I wanted to. I've been wondering for years, but you don't know. I don't know, but I think my grandfather had a brother who was a prolific breeder <laughs> across America. So all of a sudden, I'll hear. Hey, I'm your second cousin. Char- oh, really? Charisma Arquette. And I'm, you know, I don't know. I, I think he spread a seed. The, this would be, which, like, your grandfather's brother. You're, you're, right. You, like, come from, like, this show business family. Yeah. It's crazy. We're fourth generation actors. Yeah. Fourth generation showbiz. That's right. So your brother, your grandfather's brother, that would be, which, what's your grandfather's name? Cliff Arquette. Cliff Arquette. Mm-hmm. I didn't know until yesterday that he was Charlie Weaver. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, he was a comedian and um, he was in early radio, live radio and- Hollywood Squares. And then he came out of retirement. He actually retired. He was on Glamour Manor and he did all these live radio shows with like Mel Blanc and all yeah, these yeah. people. Um, and then- he was slap happy grandpappy all these characters and then he had retired and then jack parr yeah on the original tonight, tonight show, show right yeah said you know what i really miss this guy who used to make me laugh a lot charlie weaver yeah and then he was watching you know tv that night sure, and your was, grandfather yeah so he came out of retirement then he had this second career in tv with Hollywood Square. He was like uh, he was like Paul Lind was the center square, which doesn't get better than that. Never. And then uh, and then your grandfather was like in the corner somewhere, but he's always mm-hmm. quick and funny and had his little hat on. Yeah, he was his like a character. Hat. Yeah. And do you, is that the guy you grew up with? Was he that sweet a guy? Do you or did you have a relationship with that guy? Well, at one point we lived in a hippie commune in Virginia, and he'd had a heart attack and a stroke I think and Pearl Bailey was a good friend of his and yeah. for a while she nursed him and then he came to live with us um, in the hippie commune he wasn't very verbal at that time but because he'd had a stroke mm-hmm. yeah oh no wait okay so let's can we get to the hippie commune how does that happen <laughs> where, <laughs> how does that happen where, yeah. where were you born so I was born in Chicago um, my dad um, was an actor my mom was Somewhat an actress, but really wanted to be a poet, and they were in the beat scene, and and then they in New York, yeah, and then they learned about this spiritual brotherhood, and they went to a conference, and then they, which was in Virginia, and when they were there, they said, well, why are we leaving? This is so cool. Why don't we raise our kids in nature with people where we could talk about religion and God, and uh-huh. we're political lefties, and let's hang out here and. 
But it didn't really work out that way. My dad said, you know, you bring the seeds of society with you. Uh huh. So you think this is all a great concept, and then suddenly you realize, oh, that dude has a real anger management problem, and this yeah. person's an alcoholic, and that other thing, and this person's greedy, and oh, what are we doing here? Right. So, so basically, uh, uh, he realized that people that would seek to live on a commune in a spiritual community were fucked up. No, I think basically what he learned is human beings are the way they are. Right. And and it's just a microcosm of the same thing. And you might as well deal with changing society on a larger scale than just being isolated in it. Can't run from it. Can't run from it. Yeah. Right. And then you went to Chicago? Um, well, they went to Chicago first. They were kind of wandering around a lot. My dad was in Second City and they had me there. Then we lived in the commune. Then we moved back to Chicago. Then we moved to L.A. He was in Second City mm-hmm. as a improv performer and actor. Yeah, um, we grew up with improv. My dad worked a lot with Viola Spolin. Was he was in the um, Broadway cast of Story Theater with Paul Sills? And yeah, and uh, so you were going to theater and show like your whole life. You were just sort of like in it. Well, we were so poor when we lived in the hippie commune, but a couple times we got to see movies. We saw. Dumbo, we saw. Um, um, we be like, were y'all dressed in rags and like pretty playing raggy. In, in puddles pretty, and stuff? Well, we were like hippies. Yeah, we were playing in puddles. <laughs> we saw um, Fiddler on the Roof. And so how- then for a month, we played Fiddler on the Roof. We played the village of Anatevka, like, okay, I'm the washerwoman, and now I have the baby, and now we're going over to the cobbler's house. and On the commune, just as kids, that was the fun, playing fiddler. Yeah, and we would also do story theater games and improvisational games, and my first acting thing was I I was five or six, and we did a little um, Henny Penny show at the Philadelphia Folk Festival. Yeah, so... How, now are you are you not the oldest? No, I'm in the middle. And there's five of you. Mm-hmm. So all five kids were on the hippie commune, mm-hmm. just yeah. running around doing fiddler on the roof. And your parents were there. And then and then your grandfather ill comes to live with you there. Yeah. And how long was the whole adventure there? I think it was four years. It was yeah. very pivotal. Four years. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah, for everybody. And and then your your parents just kind of ran back to society. Well, no, what happened was, I mean, they would keep a portion of the money they raised and then contribute a bunch of it back into the community. Was it a religion? Was it a, uh, uh, was there a religion to it? No, because there was multiple religions. My mom was Jewish. Um, my dad grew up as a lay Christian. Yeah. And then he converted. He was supposed to go convert to Judaism. Right. But he got lost in Virginia and he ended up at a mosque and converted to Islam. So my dad was Muslim. Was my mom was Jewish. I went to Catholic school. And, uh, what? Yeah. So, so the agreement with your parents was that your dad would eventually convert to Judaism. Exactly. But he got lost. And when he came home, he said, um, I, found I actually converted to Islam today. <laughs> she was like, oh, my God, what is going on? And was that a pra- was that a practice he held to or just? Oh, a yeah. Th- he went to Mecca and yeah, he did the Hajj. And- oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And we grew up kind of looking at all religions. I mean, they both believed there was only one God. Right. And that there was, you know, different paths to this, you know. It's kind of the same God, isn't it? I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I do believe, yeah. How Jewish was your mom? Pretty um, religious? Well, she grew up pretty Jewish, but also yeah. she'd broken so many laws just by not marrying 
right. a Jew. You know, her parents, she went to college at 16. She was really brilliant, but they really said, all right, we're buying you these clothes. You have one year to find a husband. Oh, it wasn't really? about your education. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? Anything. That's interesting because usually it is sort of about the education. But in those days, it wasn't. Uh-huh. College was just about finding the a man. better husband. Right. And how she, and she found your dad, an actor, a non-Jewish actor? Yeah. Uh, it was a big, big did, did, upset. Did they disown her or anything? They were very mad. I'll oh, say yeah. that. I, I don't think they had two, two nickels to right, disown yeah. anyone. Yeah, but, yeah. but they, were, they were upset. <laughs> they were upset. And you went to Catholic school. And I went to Catholic school, yeah. I wanted to be a nun. Really? I mean, mm-hmm. for reals? For real. <laughs> yeah, and we grew up doing like... Ramadan and all this stuff, fasting, and yeah. And and you were the Catholic one? I was the Catholic one, yeah. My <laughs> brother went and lived in Thailand for a while. He was, for a while, the Buddhist one. Oh, he was Buddhist? For a bit. And they, did anyone end up Jewish? Um, My brother, the Buddhist one, had he got his... Uh, Which brother? Richmond. I mean, I think we're all, all of them. <laughs> you know, you're, you're like, theoretically, by Jewish law, you're all Jewish. I know. It, <laughs> <laughs> this but, is not new news but, to me. But none of you are leaning on that, really. I don't know. I can't deal with politics, the politics of, of being religion. Jewish. Yeah, no, yeah. of all religions. Right, right, right. So out of all this chaos, how the hell do you all end up in California? So my dad, since he was an actor, at yeah. a certain point just went to where the work was. So we moved to California. But did, when did he start working, like did it for reals? I mean, well, after the commune? he was always working. Even in Chicago, there was a lot of work. There was yeah. theater. There was comedy. There was different different kinds of commercials and things. Right. Because he was, like, in everything. I mean, he was, like, a big TV character actor. Yeah, he worked a lot. Like, he worked all the time, yeah. Was he, like, what, he was on the Waltons? Yeah. He lived a while, right? He's When did he pass? I don't know. It was a long time ago. Yeah. I don't like to memorize yeah. death dates. No, no, I, I can understand that. My sister always calls me. She's always like, you know, in four days, mom died 15 years ago. I'm like, why do you always remind me? <laughs> why? I don't want to remember that. But, but he was yeah. like, didn't he do some Christopher Guest movies too? He yeah. did. He did Waiting for Guffman. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So when you were a kid, like, because all of you are kind of in show business, right? Most we all of you? Are. Yeah, we all are. Richmond is too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... How does that, like, w- when you were growing up, where'd you, where'd you live? Did you live in the valley? Hollywood. Right in Hollywood, where you yeah. still live now? You're not it, in the same house. No, but I'm close. It's dingy old. When we grew up, you know, yeah. the Hollywood of the 70s was a real dingy little dirty place. Yeah. And criminal. Do you remember, like, Sunset Boulevard and shit from when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. I used to ditch school and hang out on Hollywood Boulevard at the Love's. Me and my best friend would smoke cigarettes, chain smoke. We were 12. Yeah. What's Love's? And what was it? Love's was a steakhouse. Uh-huh. We would just have coffee all day and smoke cigarettes. Sure. And 12. And yeah. then we would talk to these little street hustlers. Because that was a cool thing to do, right? Yeah. Like little <laughs> child prostitutes that were working Sunset Boulevard. It was bizarre. And do you, could, do you ever... Because in my mind, it was just like weird kind of like frenetic rock and roll drug chaos like that whole block that whole the whole stretch of sunset oh from- sunset yeah yeah but hollywood boulevard was a little different but then hollywood you know what what's that guitar school that came there git i'm not sure 
Well, the, then when that opened up in the early 80s, then yeah. you had all those long-haired rock guys walking around with basses slung over their backs. Yeah. But before that, it was even dirtier. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you guys, who was the first one to start acting out of the, the crew? Of the kids? Yeah. Uh, Rosanna. Yeah? Yeah. And how did um, you all get into the business? So she started acting and she started doing well. Um, I was really torn because part of me wanted to be an actor. Yeah. But I didn't know if I'd be good at it and I felt sort of shy. But the other part of me wanted to be a midwife and I didn't know which direction to go. But I didn't want to turn away from acting just from fear. So the nun thing passed though. Well, the nun thing passed because of a very sad tale. The nun thing passed because I was number one in my catechism class and I was about to get my first communion. And they called my house and they said, is your mom there? And I said, no, is everything okay? They said, well, we can't give you your first communion tomorrow. And I said, why? They said, well, because your mom's Jewish and we can't. And I said, well, it's okay. They said, no one will be able to take you to church. I said, I walk to school anyway. I'll, I'll walk to church. And and they said, well, we can't because your mom's Jewish and she's going to hell. <laughs> so I was like, uh, I said, well, I don't, I guess maybe I, I do think of a different religion than you. Maybe you're right. Mm-hmm. And then when I was hanging up, I said, oh, and Jesus was Jewish. And I hung up. <laughs> you showed them. Well, I was right. You were right. <laughs> it's true. I don't understand how, so you are, your, your dad's Muslim, your mom's Jewish. I know it's all religions, but they just let you be Catholic? Oh, oh yeah. They're like, you're at school, so you're learning to be Catholic. You're like, yeah, you to them, ca-? they said, you know, religion is a very personal thing. Uh-huh. And there's only one God and that is the most beautiful thing on earth. And so you get to decide for yourself what is your religion. You get to decide for yourself the life you want to live. And, and you're you 12 or 11? All of our lives. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you just chose Catholicism because you were in a Catholic school. I mean, in school. a weird way, even though there's all these different rules and these religions have different yeah. sins and so on, in a way you could say that's probably one of the greatest sins is dictating to someone else what their personal love of God should be. Should be. Well, yeah, I, I think it's a control thing, usually. And fear, I guess. Yeah, right, to keep people in the in the tribe mm-hmm. of one kind or another. Do you still have faith? I do have faith, yeah. Yeah? You've got a, 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 a good sense of God at this point in your life? Yeah. I mean, I when I wanted to be a nun, yeah. I had that sort of ecstatic love, that real kind of... L- being in love with God and Jesus and this concept of, and I still feel really close to Jesus's teachings. Yeah. Not the church that necessarily surrounds it. Right. Did you explore like Buddhism and other stuff too? A little bit, but I never felt that same kind of thing. To me, Jesus was a real radical. Oh, so you just, you like the whole... uh, Nonconformist, radical question authority. Yeah. Also, I, I look at Jesus like... A feminist. He was a really early feminist at a time where they were stoning women to death. Like, on one hand, he had this archetype of a virgin, right? Yeah. His mother. And the other hand, he had a prostitute, another Mary, two Marys, like yeah. symbolically the same name, the two different sides of women, one being completely 
you know, non-sexual. Yeah. Or rejecting sexuality and the other having experienced sexuality. But to say cast a, you know, cast the first stone or you can't live yeah. in glass houses. Right. When you're talking about female sexuality mm-hmm. at that, you know. Yeah. That time is seriously radical. And then also the concept to me of baptism, it's like the mikvah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really it's all connected, and it's yeah. a and yeah, I, I guess that's true, isn't it? It was sort of a feminist. Yeah. I never hear that much. You yeah. know, you don't hear that Jesus being championed as a feminist that often. But also because I think also his openness to feeling mm-hmm. and empathy mm-hmm. and vulnerability yeah. and fear and sadness and. You know, it's not like I'm going to raise my sword and chop everyone's head off or, you know, kill your child on top of the mountain if you love me. It's like uh, a real human suffering and concern for human, the human condition. And so the midwife thing, that was an actual thing, too? You were going to be a midwife? I didn't do that yet. Oh, yeah? Don't give up on me yet. Going to be a doula? Is that the same thing? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Have you delivered any babies? No, I've been at a lot of births. Yeah, I delivered my own babies. <laughs> and the last one with no painkillers at home. Really? Yeah. Like in the bathtub? Or no? I, you know, I really had this great idea about the bathtub, but it, it wasn't all it was cracked up <laughs> oh, to be. Yeah. Well, you, I actually so, hated being in the water. That was, So that was what was recommended and you were going to do it that way? No, I, I read all about it and I kind of bought into that party line. But when I was in it, I was having back labor. So the last thing you want is kind of this hard tub on your back. Right. Back labor, that's just, what does that mean? I don't it know. It means the baby's head is sort of pushing against the back of your spine. and oh. yeah. It's, how old is this child now? She's 12. Oh, yeah. But so I, I've only talked about childbirth one other time. Really? With um, Well, I mean, I don't have any children. <laughs> but uh, uh, Lake Bell went deeply into. Her childbirth? Oh, my God. Yeah. And she just had it. And yeah. she uh, she came in here like her boobs were leaking. It was very exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. It was like she just told it all. And it, it was like it was very exciting, very graphic. And she had a pretty good attitude about it. Right. Yeah. Wow. You have well, two kids? It's intense. Yeah, I have two. One's older, though. Yeah, my son's older. Like, how old? He's 26. What's he up to? He's a really cool guy. He, yeah? He went to SFAI. Um, it's an art school in San Francisco. Yeah. So he paints. He does photography. And he's just a really cool And you guys person. get along? Yeah, I love him. <laughs> That's so... It, it's pretty insane, right, to have two almost two different lives with your children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so you decide, uh, midwife, you're going to put on hold yeah. and be an actress. Well, okay, so here yeah. we came down to, it all came down to fear. Yeah. I was like, I want to do these two things, but one I'm really afraid of failing at. Which is? Acting. Yeah. And I'm afraid of being bad at it. Yeah. And so you've ridic- never done it before. Ridicule and really? all of that. Not publicly. Mm-hmm. But I said, more than being an actress or being a midwife, I want to be brave. Mm-hmm. So that's my job. For the next year, between 18 and 19, I will be willing to fail every day at acting. Because every day that I fail and then I still show up and try the next day, yeah, then I'm getting my real need met, which is to be brave. And was this in Trent? Were you training? <clears throat> Did you take classes? I was studying. My sister Rosanna was paying for my acting classes as a gift, and I was. Uh, Who were you I- studying with? 
Uh, Milton Katselis. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that guy. Yeah. He's like one of the big guys, right? He's pretty big. I mean, I started with Cal Bartlett, which was his beginner's class. Which yeah. He was a really good teacher, I think. I studied with different people. I studied with Larry Moss and Julie Ariola. Do you remember? Because I, when I talk to actors, I don't talk to a lot of them. Do you remember what elements of of learning that you sort of keep with you? Like, do, is there like because I from what I gather from talking to actors, you kind of cobble together your own craft in a way yeah. to do what you do. Are there things you do every time you take a role on? Well, my biggest teacher was this guy named Roy London, mm -hmm. who um, was a really interesting teacher. And he he would say to me, you know, most directors you're going to work with are men and they're not going to understand you. But what they really don't understand about women is your interior emotional life. Uh -huh. So if you make a choice in a scene and the director tries to dissuade you. Yeah. Say the scene is, you know, you're playing a woman whose child gets hit by a car, and they're like, yeah, I don't think that choice is the greatest. Then you just say, but when my kid got hit by a car, this is exactly what I <laughs> He was like, you manipulate everyone. And I, was, yeah. and I, you know, had my nun brain, and I was just like, I cannot lie. Yeah. I cannot do that. But he was a really... He pushed me to be more brave and to trust my instincts. And then when I worked with Tony Scott, he really, every single idea I had when we did True Amounts, he was so supportive of every single idea I had. Yeah, he was, uh, That's that movie is um, a classic. People mm -hmm. love that movie. Like, mm -hmm. I, I actually dated a woman who was like, that, just coincidentally, I have a copy of that that Blu-ray knew. She's like, oh, that's my favorite movie. I watch that every year. Oh, it's so sweet. It's a hell of a movie. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun making that movie too. You remember it pretty well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And was it? But that wasn't your first big movie. Uh, I'd done Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. Ah, that's dream warrior. Classic. I'm a dream warrior. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Was that the first one? Was that your no, first it was, movie? It was the third one. No, it wasn't my first movie. My first movie was called Pretty Smart, and it was a total disaster. And in fact, it was such a disaster working on it. When I came back, I said to my sister, I don't think this acting thing is for me. I was Why? A, what happened? It was right after Chernobyl. I was a vegetarian. We shot it in Greece. I didn't know there were <laughs> rules about lunch. So they would bring in our lunch. We'd work through lunch every day. Yeah. And they brought in, like, meat with fur on it and maggots were crawling what? out of whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? Uh, for real. I'm not kidding. We had to, like, wash our own wardrobe and figure out continu continuity. And I... <laughs> I don't know, some producer's girlfriend was on coke and punched this tiny other producer. Welcome to show business. Yeah, with a fake nail through her cheek. It was just craziness. Oh, my God. There were all these girls taking off their clothes in certain scenes, and they were paying to be in the movie. I don't know. There was so much insanity going on in that. Is this movie seeable? Yeah, I mean, it actually exists on Earth, yeah. Oh, it was that, that sounds it's like not a very worst. good movie it doesn't it sounds like it was a little chaotic production wise it was so chaotic you were in yeah. charge of your own continuity so yeah, you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah sometimes you have to be as an actor though right sometimes you got to remember what you were doing but they were literally like what were you doing and i've worked on a lot of low budget movies in new mexico in fact i remember driving the wardrobe slash makeup slash my dressing room rv 
I was driving the RV while we were shooting it. Yeah, that was what a good old was days. That? Uh, that was called Time Out, which uh-huh. was a Danish-American production. <laughs> you were driving the RV? Yeah. So what had Rosanna done by that what, that she was doing so well and, and that, you know, you were at that point, what had she already done by then? After hours or, or like um, where? I don't think it was even, because she was very young. She yeah. was doing TV stuff. She did TV series called Shirley with. Right. And James at 16. Oh, and James at 16. She's done a bunch of things, Zuma Beach and a bunch of movies of the week and yeah. James at 16, was that an after-school special or was that a series? No, it was, it was a, a series, series right. yeah. All right, so you tell her, like, I'm not I'm not up for the for this. this. This is bad. Yeah, and she goes, when I told her all the story, she goes, oh, no, honey, that's not how it usually is. You've got to <laughs> keep on trying. Soldier on. Yeah. And then, um, so you did a few movies before, uh, you did a lot of movies before, I'm now looking at the movies you did before True Romance. There was quite a few. Before that one, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was how how'd your was your was your dad into the fact that you were all acting? No, my mom was really bummed about it because she thought she and my principal in my school thought I could be a lawyer, yeah, or because I had this interest in medicine that I could be a doctor, right? And she saw how difficult it was to make a living as an actor. Did your parents stay married? They had a very tumultuous marriage. Yeah, they did stay married. All the way through? Yeah, but they, they were separated for a while. And yeah. They had a lot of drama, but they they really loved each other. It came back around? It did, yeah. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? Isn't love crazy? Love is really crazy sometimes. I mean, don't you see people where you just make assumptions like, why can't it just be like those people? And they're just walking down the street not doing anything. You're like, why am I so crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I think also really sometimes it really is finding the right fit of the right person. Right. And I think it's different as you get older. Yeah. Right? You let certain things go. Like you don't need the same shit. Thank God you let <laughs> some of those things go. It's so stupid. I mean, we have this youth oriented culture, but I would never go back to being 25. My mind, the brain and all the things I went through, I wouldn't go through that again. How do you how do you frame it now when you look at back at your like because I was a I was a pretty angry man mm. for a lot of years and I and I feel a certain amount of shame about it mm. you know like sort of like oh, I'm glad that I don't have to do that you, like you make different choices for yourself I mean that's really what happens right you get exhausted yeah sometimes that anger will just beat you, the shit out of you until right. you get to the other side and you're like surrender right oh it's such a relief to not carry that around anymore. I didn't have that angry thing, but I, I definitely had a desire to fix broken things. Ah. Did you grow up in, cha- like, chaos? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's like... And the- they say kids that grow up in chaos do uh, gravitate to Christianity because there's rules. There's ten commandments. There's all of these rules. If you do this, that happens. You sure. do this, that happens. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Because that's... A, was, was there booze? Was someone boozy? My dad was boozy. He got sober, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah, eventually, yeah. Because that's like, that's like the boozy uh, offspring thing. Either you, you become a boozer or you become like the control person. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you're kind of lucky then if you didn't become the boozer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it, it has its own challenges, though. Yeah? The world of the codependent. Right? Mm-hmm. So you've, you've done some research on that? I've done some personal research on that. 
have, yeah. I didn't realize that, uh, like, I was always the the boozer sort. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't introduced to uh, my codependency until much later, like, just a few years ago. Mm. And I was like, holy fuck. a lot of times you're double winners like that. I'm definitely a double winner. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, like, sober, like, 16 years. And then, like, I got into this relationship, and I'm like, what is fucking happening? Like, everyone around me was like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, it's gonna, she's gonna, you know, come around. I'm like, what? Some people in AA, um, they say, if they're double winners, and yeah. they're also end up going into Al-Anon or yeah. whatever, they say, wow, Al-Anon's like the graduate right, school. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. my God, it's so much more now you have hidden nothing. and insidious and hard to see and it is man it really is especially when you're you know uh when you're the other side like you know they when you get sober they're sort of like you know the two teams you mm -hmm. know like mm -hmm. i mean like we've caused their problems mm -hmm. we are their problem mm -hmm. but we have the problem you know right and then uh and then when when it really happens to you it, it le it's leveling oh, to wake up and realize you're in a, a codependent bottom or nightmare it's just leveling also, just the the chaos that comes with active disease is yeah. like there is no controlling it, and the more you try to control it, the worse it gets. And especially when it's just, a person. Oh, it's just a horror show. <laughs> <laughs> we had terrible. some pretty public weird relationships, right? I mean, like that the Nicholas Cage thing that was quick and weird. Well, I don't know. Was it quick? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we knew each other since I was seventeen, so. We first dated. Acting? No, we dated when, when when I was younger. Yeah, or nineteen. But the weird thing is, like, to the world, yeah, they see that relationship as like some actors who, right. who were celebrities who dated. But to me, it's somebody I really loved and dated. Right. And a weird. It feels like a weird invasion. The focus from the world. Yeah, I can't imagine it. Like I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's bizarre to me that yeah. the assumptions, the public, and myself guilty of it too at different points. Yeah, you me know, too. You know, makes about you know the the lives of people who become public, like because you know people are just people, really. And most people I've met, no matter what level of celebrity they are, you know, they just like you know they've got to do what everyone else does on some yeah. level. I mean, like uh, yeah. people talking about Justin Bieber, or Selena yeah. Gomez, like wait. Newsflash: These are like twenty-year-old people, yeah, who are doing the best they can to have any kind of relationship, right? Oh, is it? Are they not marriage material? Are they not having making the perfect choices? Right. Okay, they're twenty years old, and also they're insulated by you know by all that money and the people that you know operate them. And I, I don't know how they have lives at all. And fame is a very weird. I look at it like a circus mirror. Yeah, that you're projecting back on people mm -hmm. they're looking at you but really they're looking at this distorted concept of themselves sometimes they're like hey i need your autograph and and you're in the middle of working or your kids on the phone with and you're like just a second i said you know what right. fuck you or right. whatever it's like okay somehow that triggered in them their feeling of rejection or less than Meanwhile, your kid is at school and they forgot their lunch or whatever right you're dealing with life yeah you're just like Buddy, I'm doing the best I can here. I, I didn't mean to like poke you in the eye with you know some deep yeah. injury. Yeah, didn't mean to reopen your wound, but it's not my fault. Yeah, I mean sometimes people project a lot of stuff on you. Or if you're my friend, that means my I'm more valuable in the world. Or 
I have to talk to you. We have to hang out. It's like, <sighs> it means so many different things to people that. And they're not even seeing weird. you next. Exactly. Thing. That's so what I'm saying. It's a whole yeah. different level of objectification. You know, you, you deal with like, there's a standard sort of idea of, of women being objectified. But if you're a celebrity and a woman, then it's like, it's twice because celebrities are already objectified. It's just being like some weird walking distortion. Yeah. But now, like, I think selfies have made it a little easier. Then you have to, you don't have to have a pen and a piece of paper. Just some person will come up like, can I do a selfie? Like, I quick. mean, people are usually awesome. And I, I don't, I'm not complaining about right. people saying hi. Yeah. I'm just saying sometimes you feel a weird extra thing. And, you, yeah. and you're like, oh, yeah, this isn't yeah. really about this moment right now. Yeah. This is a, about a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah. Okay, so you work, you do a lot of movies. What was the first movie that you did? Where you were like, you know, you worked with a director or other actors where you really felt like, you, you know, you had done something amazing. Was it True Romance? I, maybe The Indian Runner. Oh, right. Sean Penn directed it and Viggo Mortensen was in it. Was that the one with Charlie Bronson in it as the yeah, father? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's an ins- And my son's in that movie. Really? Yeah, he's the little boy Raphael. Yeah, he was. That was a pretty two. intense movie, man. Yeah. So, what was it about working in that environment that made it? What was because you were working with a director who was an actor? Did you know Sean he before? Such a good actor. Yeah. No, I didn't know him before. Um, everything about that movie was different. Like even the audition scene. The audition scene, I didn't get the whole script. The audition scene was never in the movie. It was mm-hmm. actually the, the written. It was the scene where Dorothy meets Frank. Mm-hmm. And everything about Sean was really different. He would sometimes come up to us in scenes and whisper different things in our ear about what had happened to us before the scene or how we were. He was just so emotionally free as an actor and so present as an actor. I'd also worked before that. Another pivotal thing for me was working with Diane Keaton before that. She directed me in two projects, movies of the week. And working with her as an actor... Mm -hmm to have this woman who was such an incredible actress and such a powerful director, so emotionally present. I think that was really pivotal for me. Then working on Indian Runner with Sean, True Romance, definitely. And it was part of, part of the reason I got True Romance was because of Indian Runner. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Because Tony had seen it? I think they'd heard about it, and and then Tony had talked to Sean, I think, yeah. And, uh, like, when you, like, do you have, do you still have a relationship with, like, Diane Keaton? I just saw her because she was being honored the other night, and I wanted to see her. And I love her very much. And, like, because I always wonder about that with with people that have these moments with, with, as uh, professionally. I mean, I know that actors is sort of like a gig is a gig. But, like, in my mind, like, I in terms of, so I want to I want to believe that all, you know, big, talented people are sort of on, on the phone with each other occasionally and checking in but i guess that's just my fantasy that's another that's the delusion that i have about actors like that i i'm sure there are some yeah and i think so, then okay there are some that are really doing that because they they're isolated in a weird way and they <laughs> do understand each other then there's another whole contingent that's like the hustlers the connectors so they want to keep those relationships oh, open. right 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 there's a lot the of annoying those. people <laughs> Um, I don't know. I just slink back into my family life. But you worked with uh, you. You've worked with some pretty uh, 
like amazing directors. Yeah. Um, the what was the Ed Wood experience like? It was great. I'd always wanted to work with Tim Burton, and I love the the story of Ed Wood, the yeah. story of this dreamer, and with his distorted reality that was yeah. kind of a better reality, and a good enough reality, and a magical reality. And Johnny was great in that movie, and I'd know Johnny since I was a teenager. We'd auditioned for a lot of movies together. He's he's turned into quite an actor. He was always a good actor. Yeah, was he? he like Twenty One Jump Street. Well. <laughs> Around that time, I'd met him in the parking lot of Canners, but I remember Johnny pushing me around some supermarket in a shopping cart, and he put a, a strainer on my head, and yeah. we were running around buying like water guns and candy. But like someone like Nick Cage, do you talk to him still? No. Never? Mm-mm. I mean, I think sometimes just with relationships, it's good to move on with your own lives. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think so. <laughs> Who is your second husband? Thomas Jane, he's a really great actor too. And do you, are you guys okay? Do you talk to each other? Well, we have a daughter together, so right. So yeah, better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, and you figured yeah. out a way to kind of make that okay. Yeah, I mean, it's hard when I you get divorced with kids, huh? It's very good to keep in mind that this person gave you one of the most beautiful gifts of your life. Yeah. And you both love this person. Yeah, yeah. Well, and at the end of the day, you know, a kid needs their parents yeah and it's good not to be so selfish as to not realize that yeah and also all those people in your life are your great teachers and okay so let's go through directors can we mm-hmm. um when you work with scorsese how was that awesome yeah what 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 makes them Terrifying. different how are they all different like in the sense like like working with tim burton how was he because you mentioned a little bit about how sean penn does it and mm-hmm. he was sort of giving you backstory in your ear to provoke emotional reactions, I imagine. And Diane Keaton, like, you know, I would be doing a crying scene, and she would be crying off camera. I'd be <laughs> laughing. She'd be laughing. Like, she would touch you before and just kind of infuse your whole body with this electrical really? support system that was really intense. Um, Tony's, um, let's see, Tim Burton. He was funny. He was honest. He He had this great... Um, visual interest and he was very humble uh-huh. and warm but he knew exactly how he wanted the movie to look yeah there was no doubt about it right but he also wanted us to have fun okay but he would re- be really honest like um this time uh, do it better yeah and he'd start laughing like oh what does that mean um and scorsese that's a we- that's a weird movie that movie yeah the scorsese out the dead. Yeah. yeah it's an odd thing like it just sort of stands alone as this. It, it it almost doesn't feel like a full movie. It's just like this weird journey. Well, I think the weird journey of the nocturnal experience mm-hmm. and the world of the dying and dead is it, it is like some kind of dream state. But he was incredible. We were doing this one scene, and I felt really frustrated with myself. And he was like, "What's going on?" I was like, "I don't just I don't feel like I'm there." And he was like. It's looking good, but you know, take all the time you want. I go. Well, we have a we have a a crew move, yeah. so we were supposed to change locations yeah. and go somewhere else, and they have to get permits, and all, that means all the stuff and mm. parking trucks and all this crap. So I felt this pressure, and he's like, "Oh no, no, no! Don't feel any pressure." <laughs> and I was like, "I know we need to move on," and he's like, "No, no, we could stay here all day. We could stay here all day tomorrow. Don't worry about it." <laughs> We could do anything, you know? <laughs> yeah. He really meant that. And right. he said at one point, 
his monitors went out and he was like, oh, that one was really good. And I was like, how could you tell Marty the your monitor went out? And he goes, you can hear it when it's right. Right. You hear a person connected to their body through their voice. And he said, you know, I could be in the editing room, stop a frame anywhere and listen to that. And then you just know if it's there or not. That's wild. Well, I like that you're, you know, when you're you're under stress, your default is sort of like to worry about everything else. That's not even your job. I know. <laughs> How about David Lynch doing Lost Highway? Oh, awesome. So yeah. great. Funny, sweet. You know, a lot of times people subconsciously or consciously, it's like the director is the final voice. It's mm-hmm. really their vision. They kind of mastermind the whole look, feel, Mm -hmm. oversee each department, so it all comes together. With David, it was like, you know, this story, I'd say, David, am I two different people? Am I one person? Is one a dream? Is one a hallucination? Is one a ghost? Am I two ghosts? What's going on here? I don't know, Patricia, why don't you tell me? And, but the freedom of that, the trust of that, like the the adventure of exploring his team would be so excited to bring him anything like okay so i'm walking down a dark hallway and there's the camera and then behind the camera you're only supposed to get within three feet of Mm -hmm. minimum focus so if you get closer than that it gets blurry because they can't get focus that in that darkness that sharp closer than three feet so we're walking down the hallway I'm trying to stay three feet away. And after the take, David goes, cut, print it. That's great. And they go, no, no, David's not good for camera. She she moved inside minimum focus sometimes, and it went blurry. Great, let's look at it. Audiences have to get used to different kinds of focus. <laughs> and then he would say, like, there's no real top and bottom. There's no side or side. You know, people look at filmmaking or storytelling or all of these things like it has these strict boundaries but it doesn't have to have those boundaries wow so that like so like in the moment he was like building a a new language of film and also just opening up your own mind to like oh film isn't this solid thing with these sharp corners 90 degree turns it's actually this stretchable pliable moving Mm -hmm. thing which is exciting and scary yeah, they kind of, you have to reckon with those movies maybe a couple of times. You have to reckon with making them, too. I mean, it's... I can't imagine definitely it. Definitely, Because you're, like, floating, and, like, there, the, with there's no definition necessarily or, or, or boundaries, I imagine that's pretty challenging. Well, and because I have a logic to the, the way that I feel safe in the world yeah. and also making choices as an actor, so I decided, I knew that... David had written it around the time of O.J. Simpson, and David was very obsessed with that trial. Uh-huh. And so here's this guy who all the evidence says killed his wife. Yeah. But he's saying, no, 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 I didn't do that. And at a certain point, do, do you start believing your own lie? Right. Do you start to believe that? Yeah. So I looked at that movie as an examination of women through the eyes of this misogynist. So my character, Renee, is married to to bill yeah and but he touches the hood of her car when he gets home to see if it's warm if she's been out like there's this weird space between them she doesn't feel safe with him but she's kind of trying to just bore him to death or just give him nothing so he'll leave because she just doesn't feel safe with him right 
He kills her, but he doesn't remember it. Yeah. He sees it as this other thing that's not him. Then he reinvents himself as this younger guy, and he gets to re-meet her again, and now she wants him. But even in this dream fantasy reality, she's a lying whore. Because she will always be alive. And he can never have her and he can never figure her out. And she will never love him enough. And she will never be someone safe to love. And you you put all that together? I had to do something. (laughs) I was confused. (laughs) And uh, what about like David O. Russell? David O. Russell is cool too. I mean, he's a very mercurial person. He's very immediate, funny we had a lot of fun rehearsing. We had a long rehearsal process on that movie. Um, I, I love that movie. Like, yeah, it's like I loved a, it too. Kind of a fun ensemble comedy thing. He's he's pretty ballsy in in terms of uh, you know the risks he takes and the sort of you know, genres he plays with and how he makes movies. I think he's kind of a genius. That guy. I do too. Yeah, I do absolutely. And I think they're all geniuses. Yeah, they are actually the ones we're talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've got a lot of good ones. Some my bedpost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, and so Linklater, you worked with him first on um, on the Fast Food Nation movie, which well, I like. No, we started Boyhood before Fast Food Nation. Oh, really? So we were already shooting Boyhood. So he's like, "Why don't you and Ethan come?" Eller's even in in that movie for a second. Who? The little boy oh, yeah, from yeah, yeah. Boyhood is in Fast Food Nation. So, you, so how did that work? So you signed on. He says to you, we're going to do a movie. It's going to take, it's going to rain, you know, arc It's going to take 12 years. And So it's, it's the pod between first and 12th grade. Right. And you shoot every year? Yep. And when he, how did he pitch that to you? What was that meeting like? I was on the phone. He just called me and said, what are you going to be doing for the next 12 years? <laughs> And I was like, I don't know, man, hustling, raising my son, same thing I'm doing right now. What are you going to be doing? He's like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this movie where we shoot like a week a year for 12 years. And I was like, my whole, all the blood rushed through my body. And I was just like, are you thinking about me for this? He was like, yeah, I was kind of wondering if you'd be interested. Ethan's going to do it. I was like, I'm in. <laughs> uh, he's like, we don't have any money. I was like, I'm in. And then I was like, oh, shit, what's my part, man? He was like, you're going to be the mom. I was like, cool. So yeah. I, I just imagined it would be like, hey, man, don't forget your ball. Yeah. Don't forget your mitt. What's going on? <laughs> and if, if, yeah. each year it's a different line. Don't forget your condom. <laughs> exactly. Don't, for- <laughs> don't, don't forget don't your... Don't forget you stole money out of my wallet. And it- <laughs> And was the experience of it, I mean, did, you know, in the process of making that, just doing, did you actually only shoot a week a year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how, did you, were you able to even connect what that might end up as? Well, after that first little bit of that conversation, he then, I said, what's the movie about? And he told me the whole story of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the same movie he made. And it had the same feeling he made. You know, he said, you know, there'll be like a presidential campaign. Now, we had no idea who would be running for president at the time, so those things would be inserted closer to the time. Right. But he'd call us a few months before and say, start thinking about this stuff. These are the scenes this year. But it was still like one week of shooting a year. Mm -hmm. So I imagine, like, what was the experience of seeing that movie for the first time for you? Because just for me, it was like, it, it was kind of brain altering somehow mm-hmm. how did it what, what i can't imagine what it must have felt like for you to actually see yourself move through a you know over a decade on screen well it was really surreal in a million ways rick had offered to let me see it you know a 
okay, the movie's done. Do you want to see it? You know. Yeah. I said, you know what? I want to see it with an audience. He's right. like, are you sure? So the first time I saw it was the first time it ever had an audience. 1,200 people at Sundowns. Yeah. Me and my boyfriend had just started dating. It was the first time we saw a movie I was in together. Uh-huh. So that's a whole other element. Then watching that, yes, you're self-aging. But also on top of it, it was like watching it f- through four brains because there was the brain of myself watching the movie. There was the the brain of watching myself age. Mm-hmm. There was the other part of me that knew, oh, that's the year Ethan got divorced. Oh, right, that's the year the real life I got divorced. Right. Yeah, our own stuff. Oh, Eller's family got divorced that year. Oh, the makeup lady couldn't be there that year. Oh, our wardrobe lady was so pregnant that year. Yeah. All of that stuff right. is in the background of another part. And then, because I only had the scenes that I was in, there was another part of it where my character my son Mason in the movie Eller's character would say I'm going to sleep on my friends and I knew he was lying Mm -hmm. but I didn't know what that next scene was so then my character was watching the movie and my character was seeing them throw these darts and this guy is kind of a pervy weird dude and my character was like I don't like that fucking guy you can't (laughs) hang out with him anymore and (laughs) my character was making all these judgments and decisions like wow your dad was really a good dad. Oh, yeah. You know? Wow. If you could just be a fly in the wall of the other parent, you'd probably see, like, I really chose well to have kids with you. Did that inform your your real life? Like, yeah, it did. It made me definitely think, you know, I need to step back and have a bigger picture of things. The, ch- the chances are, if you have really great kids that are loved and happy and full, probably the other parent's doing something right. <laughs> yeah. It's very uh, moving. Like to, So you, you actually, you know, having all those four kind of narratives going in you during the movie emotionally, like you were able to almost, you know, uh, it was almost like a, a crash course in emotional growth. It was, and then also I had this fierce feeling of protectiveness because I'd been through so many movies and screenings Mm -hmm. and film festivals and movies that were great. I mean, True Romance was a bomb. It found its own audience over time. But here was this movie that I really was connected to emotionally and the people in it, and I really loved. And I knew it had a different meter, and I knew it was different, and it was dealing with more nuances of being a person human than sort of these obvious plot Mm -hmm. kind of things so again it was like i kind of think i'm gonna really not like people if they don't understand this movie or if they don't accept it or see what's special about it i'm gonna really have an emotional time with this one yeah and it was how would you feel about its reception it was amazing (laughs) i bet thank god it was amazing because we were like, all right, here we go, man. Yeah. I don't know how this is going to go down, especially with the kids. It was their first movie like that. Like, you know what? No matter what happens, it doesn't matter. Like, I love you guys. This is our thing. It doesn't matter. Right. But after the movie, there were just all these people crying. And like, there was an 18-year-old boy like, this is like my life. <laughs> and then there was a 60-year-old lady like, this is my life. Like, it was beautiful. And it was, you know, recognized 
Yeah. You know, by the industry and by the public. It's bizarre. Crazy. You won an Oscar. I know. <laughs> I heard about that. <laughs> that was crazy, too. I can't yeah. even imagine that. Me either. I, I still can't imagine that. <laughs> Is it hard? It's really weird. Yeah, it's really... It, yeah. Because it was not an easy path for you as an actor after a certain point. I mean, you had some rough times. I, I don't really feel like I no. had that rough of a time. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't. And But I imagine that some part of your heart was sort of like, I want to win an Oscar. Well, when I was a little girl, I'd yeah. be like in the bathtub or when I'd be watching the Oscars, like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. But then very early on, I sort of chosen an artistic, right. uh, artistic route. Uh, you know, that path in the road that doesn't really lead there. Oh, really? Well, at what point, though, do you Very think that Very early happened? on. Before I, the movies, even? Or like no, no, on, no. Like after True Romance? or? Um, I don't think True Romance is even Oscar stuff. You know, it's... But it was definitely leading lady kind of like, you know, like big... It felt like a big <clears throat> movie to me. Like, you know, that you could have, like... It, it felt like, to me, something between entertainment... Uh-huh which isn't really Oscar material kind of acting thing. Right. Or it also felt radical because, you know, Quentin had just only written Reservoir Dogs. He actually wrote True Romance before Reservoir Dogs. So this came out right after Reservoir Dogs. So that was a whole new world of, whoa, what is this thing? It's a little fringy. Well, I think I meant what, not by leading lady, but movie star. Like it felt like it could have been like that. There was a, a, a point there where you're like, I'm going to go after movie oh. starness. No, that came to me because of that movie. I right. could have. Right. And I turned down a lot of stuff that were the obvious fare. Right. And I was like, I want to work with David Lynch, and I want to work with these other filmmakers. Right. And I saw Spanking the Monkey, and I oh, want to work yeah. with this dude that made this little movie. And, you know, so I didn't, I was purposely sort of took a right turn on that path. And you, I, I imagine you're pretty grateful for that. I am really grateful. I, I'm grateful for the whole ride. So you you're at the Oscars, and they say your name, and it was like somebody injects you with this elephant <laughs> tranquilizer that makes time and space just go, and it, it almost feels like every millisecond is a million years. Mm. What heading up to the podium? Yeah, everything distorts out like, yeah, like. Uh, yeah, they said my name right. I'm hugging you. No one's saying, sit down. No. I'm moving up there. This is really weird. How can this be happening? I mean, afterwards, I went backstage. I was shaking, and I almost fainted. I was like, ah, oh, I think I'm going to throw up. I I was so... Yeah. And when you were up there, you, you know, you said some, some stuff that was very heartfelt and very, um, you know, pointed. And, like, you know, I, I think it might have changed my girlfriend's life. Yay! I hope she got a raise. <laughs> well, she's a painter, so she, oh, she's okay. doing okay, though. Okay, good. Um, but in that moment, did it just come to you? Was that the time? Like, did you, was there forethought to saying, you know, to Oh, yeah, no. That was a plan. Oh, yeah? I mean, look, you're not really supposed to be political. It's very, very right. sure, no, kind yeah. of known that you're not supposed to be political, but... Here, I was winning this for a woman who had to keep moving her kids from place to place and put herself through school and be the main caretaker and be the main breadwinner. And I just thought how different her life would have been. Would she have married that guy? 
or was there a subconscious? How attractive was this idea of stability? Right. What if you remove that? What if instead of making 78 cents on the dollar, she made an extra 22 cents? How different would her life, her kid's life have been? Would they have had to move that time? Say goodbye to their friends? Change their school? So I knew I wanted to talk about equal pay for women you know which shouldn't even it's a, that's it's to really me it's weird. like it's not even politics it's just it, it's it's um it's just basic justice yeah it is basic justice it is and it, you know so it's weird that like people would frame it politically because it's it, it shouldn't even be yeah a, a, a charged topic yeah but the weird thing is yeah Unfortunately, it is. No, no, I know. I know. But yeah. did you did you get backlash from that, that you had politicized? Yeah, there was a bunch of people that didn't claim that it doesn't even exist, even <laughs> though the Department of Labor, it's, it's sort of like, oh, global warming doesn't exist. Like, guys, you would be crushed to death with all of the material that supports right. this. Right. And all even, in, but you, you also brought up just even in Hollywood. That, I, yeah, but I wasn't even really talking about no, Hollywood. I, know. I wasn't yeah. thinking about Hollywood, but Hollywood is one of only ninety uh, one of ninety eight percent of all industries sure. that it exists in. Sure. So that's part of it, but it's a minor part of it. And look, we just don't even look at the correlation. We don't live in this Aussie and Harriet world anymore. Right. Seventy percent of women are now working, mm-hmm. so they're contributing the income, or yeah. they're the sole providers. Right. And. One out of five kids in America is hungry. The richest country in the world. It's crazy. We have an astronomical amount of hungry kids. And let's say it is 70% of the African-American community is being raised solely by single breadwinning moms who are getting paid 60 cents on the dollar. Hmm, is there a relationship between hungry kids and women making 60 cents on the dollar or Latino women making 55 cents on the dollar? Right. Yeah, there's a relationship with that. So it's not just women's equality oftentimes or women's rights or women's fair pay. The reality is the new America, you have to look at women and children. Right. Economic survival really depends on women. At this point, we're at a pivotal junction where we need to uh, really make a radical change. Yeah, even it up, make it right. We do. Yeah. Like the missing middle class is all these women and their kids. Yeah, nobody talks about class. Not in America. Yeah. There's just, there, there's rich people and people are going to be rich soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they're not working hard enough to be rich. Yeah, yeah, or, that's right. You know. Do you, uh, do you, are you active, uh, you know, in your personal life around these issues? Do you go do stuff? Yeah, I do a lot of speaking engagements. Like I, I went to... Um, the Milken Convention, which is this very fancy convention mm-hmm. with huge CEOs and called for them to do gender audits. There's this amazing CEO, Mark Benioff, who runs Salesforce, and he did a gender audit on his company, and he said he's not going to stop till there's um, gender parity. Oh, so that's good. That's progress. Yeah, but and then uh, Governor Brown signed the strongest fate pair fate fair pay bill in California that Hannah, Senator Hannah Beth Jackson presented, which is great, Yeah, but it's California. That's one state. It'll start in January. It'll change some of the laws in a radical way, so we'll see how those work out. But the rest of the country, it's really hard for women. Yeah. And it's still hard for women here. Yeah. Oh, and also I'm 
helping my friend produce a movie she's been working on for six years called Equal Means Equal, where they examine all these uh, relationships. It's a doc. It's a documentary, mm-hmm. yeah, Equal Means Equal. Camel Lopez is her name, and it looks at judicially the justice system, underfunding of projects, how fair pay is playing out. I mean, there's so many crazy things when you start really examining all of this. Mm-hmm. For years, for years, for decades, the FDA was looking at all the scientific data for drugs, but they didn't even know that none of them were being tested on women at all. Hmm. And that ended up overdosing women, killing women. Seatbelts were never tested on women. And then to the last couple of years, and then when they had made a female crash test dummy, what they found was all of these safety ratings of a bunch of cars dropped because a lot of them, where the airbag was placed, ended up killing women and 12-year-old kids who are more similar. And people think, oh, well, airbag is where an airbag is. But in Europe, the airbags are in a completely different place because in Europe, the car companies have to assume that the person in the car is not wearing a seatbelt. So these are all things like, just this subconscious bias where you're not even part of the conversation because you're a female. Yeah, I guess I guess they would say uh, patriarchal oversight. Right, yeah. it's <laughs> And I do think for a large part, it's subconscious, and then part of it is also conscious because it's more complicated to look at. But don't we think well, to do the, extra the population testing? should be looked at? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Like, oh, there's boobs. we got to make a new machine. <laughs> Right, or their necks are a little thinner, right. or, you know. Oh, wow. So, as as somebody, as a working mother, mm-hmm. um, when you do TV mm-hmm. over movies, mm-hmm. or, you know, instead of movies, do you do you approach it differently? Do you see it, you know, when, like, I mean, you were on that show Medium for years. Yeah. And is is that as fulfilling as, <clears throat> as doing movies, or is it sort of like a, a job? It's really different. Mm -hmm. It's a different, it's more like a theater company that's traveling all the time and and doing, it's almost like live theater in a weird way. You have to shoot eight pages a day. You have to learn this astronomical amount of dialogue. You have to leave it there. You never get to go back to it to fix it. You don't get to look at the whole arc of right. the whole thing. So you learn to memorize much faster. You have to be present in the moment And more. be that character for years. Yeah. And you also really establish a deep relationship with your crew. Mm-hmm. So there's... And then there's things that are hard. You don't have the same relationship with the director. They're shooters. They come and they go. It's very different, your relationship with the director in a movie. But I imagine the, the relationship with the crew is deeper, in a sense, or the other actors, at least. That... Yeah, the whole thing. I think you bond for a long, yeah. long time. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. It's also nice to be here in town. Sure. Where your kid's living. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And the, and the CSI show, how's that going? I feel like we've really improved a lot this year. I'm liking the Is this the second writing. year? Mm-hmm. This, and, and do you like doing <clears throat> the procedural? Is it the first one you've done? It's not my my go-to. It's right. not easy for me. Right. So it's a challenge. And In it, what it, way? Um, a lot of my characters are heart-based, and this character is all brain. Yeah. Very brain. Yeah. The cyber part of it, but also the analytical, therapeutic part of her. And that's a survival mechanism. Uh-huh. 
but also the the lingo and the whole thing is different. But I'm excited about this year. Is she a control freak? Yeah, she's much cleaner than I am. (laughs) Much more organized. Like I'm the Oscar. uh, What's Oscar's last name? Felix and Oscar. Oh, Felix Unger and Oscar. Uh, oh, what is his last name? What? Is he just Oscar, like Cher? Felix. Like, he doesn't even... Oscar. Felix Unger and Oscar... Madison? Yes! Ah. I wanted to say the grouch. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> There's one of those, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of the Oscar. Oh, yeah? Madison in real life. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she's my Felix Unger part. Oh, good. So this is another, uh, you know, it's a learning thing. <clears throat> Yeah, they're all learning things. Oops, sorry. New tools. All new tools. How's this uh, current relationship working out? Good? It's awesome, yeah. Yeah? You like dating a painter? I do. Do you? Yeah, they're, they they operate in a different time zone. Yeah. There's, <laughs> they don't look at things regularly. The, 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 it seems like the clutter that, that defines my life is just not something that concerns them. Isn't that great? It is great. It's it's sort of weird, and they're 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 right here. All the time. Is that your experience? They're probably different. What kind of paintings do you do? I'll show you. Um, you'll see. Abstract? Um, I don't even want to label it. What about her painting? She's an abstract painter. Oh, okay. Yeah, big, big, big abstract canvases. He's more figurative. Oh, yeah? yeah. And but, so where's the studio? In the house? Yeah. So you get to well, kind of... Well, it's got his own little... Area? Yeah. The painter it's area? studio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's wild, right? So I get a little Zen temple when you walk in. Well, I don't know oh, what yours I is. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love going in there, and I love just his process. And I mean, because he's such a perfectionist and so detailed his work. And I mean, I can't do anything like that. So it's neat to have exactly. people talk about different disciplines. Right. It's great to be with somebody who's not in the business. And he loves other painters' work and turns me on to art, and that's. Oh, let's the go. The life force. It's exciting. Let's go look at some paintings. Yeah, let's do it. Good Yay. talking to you. Good talking to you. Okay. See, that was that was moving. I, I, I'm so grateful that I am able to talk to people out here. If I don't talk to a guest, you know, for a week, I'm in trouble, man. I like to talk to people. I like to do it right here in my dirty garage and I'm glad you guys like it too and thank you for all the stuff you send me I read a lot of your emails someday I'll get it together to put together an email show because there's a lot of touching stuff and I'm glad to be part of your lives those of you you know who I'm talking to the people that uh, that get more than I could have ever imagined out of this show I'm glad to help and uh, and I'm humbled by uh, by your feedback thank you for that You can go to WTFPod.com for all your stuff. Get on the mailing list. You can uh, get the Howl Premium there. There's a merch. There's posters. New posters there. I might uh, pull some more posters out of the vault and put them up. Oh, man. All right. Everything's all right. Oh, yeah. I'll play guitar.
Elmer lives. <laughs>